Another edition of Beat the Closing Number presented by TheLines.com. And it is Eli Erskovich. You can follow the lines on Twitter at TheLinesUS. You can follow Mo Noir, my co-host, and MLB betting savant on Twitter as well. Two W's at Mo Noir. You can follow me at Eli Herskovich, first and last name. Before we get started, remember to give the video a thumbs up and ring the bell to get notifications whenever the lines releases a new sports betting video on any market, including our NFL betting previews like this one, where we're looking early week two lines and where the spreads may close in relation to our bets. You could also subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify, wherever you find your favorite podcast. If it's your first time checking us out on Beat the Closing Number, you can catch us on Mondays like today or Thursdays with our best bets and a guest. And typically on Mondays, just like this episode, we're going to be breaking down Monday night or Thursday night football a bit as we're not going to be doing so on Thursdays, considering the shelf life. We got to value that for the sake of our producing staff. But Mo, good week for me. Good week one, betting wise, three and oh, up three units, Bucks plus six. They close plus four. Tampa wins outright. We'll get to that game in a minute. Cleveland plus two and a half. They dominate the Bengals and the Cowboys. We both hit minus three, minus 120. That bet coming in Discord. Remember to check out our free Discord channel over at thelines.com. Link is in the top right-hand corner. How are you doing? I know it looks like it's midnight where I'm recording. It's actually the same time. We're both in central time zone. And how did your bets go in week one? Could have been better for sure. Uh, thankfully, I think a lot of my losing bets were my smaller ones like Washington. Um, so that helped me out. I would say a roughly break even, maybe slight loss this week. So as we look ahead to week two, Mo, I want you to touch on this because a lot of week one reactions coming out of yesterday from both of us, especially with the demolition that happened on Sunday Night Football between Dallas and New York, where Daniel Jones, for some reason, was still taking snaps late into the fourth quarter, and the Giants were running five out. Hurry hurry up in a sense. I mean, trying to score. Dable really trying to get points on the board. I get it to an extent, but also you don't want to injure your now franchise quarterback, who probably shouldn't have gotten paid big money in the first place. But how do you gauge typically you know, generally speaking, week one odds to week two and the adjustment and for the most part, sometimes the over adjustment when it comes to spreads and totals. Usually trying not to go too crazy, but you know, if I do see something that either really strongly confirms my priors, I guess I'm a little more inclined to believe in it. We all have that sort of bias built in, I think. Uh, at the same time, you know, trying to be honest and, and go with what I saw like, for example, the Eagles. I think we'll talk about that later, so don't want to go too deep into it. But, yeah, uh, usually not trying to go too crazy. It depends on the spot, too. It depends on the team, you know, a veteran team like the Chiefs, um, the Eagles, whatever. I might be more inclined to overlook a poor performance. Uh, a team like the Bears that's younger, that I didn't think was good, uh, I was lower than the market on, I'm a little more inclined to believe in it probably, or – at least expect maybe growing pains. Same thing for kind of the younger quarterbacks. They kind of sucked. 
And I think maybe we've been spoiled by some of the recent crop of young quarterbacks who have kind of hit the ground running and maybe forgot <laughs> a little bit that, uh, man, these guys looked a little pretty overwhelmed in a lot of situations. It was nice. I think two of our priors came to fruition in regards to quarterbacks and poor performance. Justin Fields looked like garbage against the Packers. <laughs> Granted, that Bears team in general, especially defensively, looked like trash. And then you take into account that the Packers didn't have Christian Watson. Dobbs wasn't 100%. And I'm Aaron so Jones sad got that hurt. those wide receiver injuries scared me off the Packers. I wanted I to bet the Packers so bad. I know. And then... Kenny Pickett, too, and I know the 49ers defense and San Francisco in general, I think we both have them rated third in our power rankings, and you can find those over at thelines.com. But tough opponent, especially defensively, but Pickett did not look and did not play up to many betters' expectations when it came to preseason numbers and stats. I say it again. It is the preseason for a reason, and you brought up a really good point. I think on the Thursday podcast that you really take into account negative performance or you kind of throw negative performance out the window and maybe the market takes positive performance in regards to the preseason too much into account. Like in week one, like we saw with Steelers and Niners and you stayed off that game. Yeah. Uh, I was still a little bit nervous. Um, and, and yeah, just definitely more inclined to be like, if you suck against number twos, number threes, number fours, I think I'm probably pretty worried. But if you do well, I would just say maybe you've got a shot to be good. Right, right. And Like Kenny, Kenny Pickett, Pickett said himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. He did not look good in the first half. Pittsburgh looked a little more competent in the second half. And we'll probably touch on the Monday Night Football game coming up on the Thursday podcast. But, Mo, let's get it into Thursday Night Football, Vikings and Eagles. The look-ahead line for that game was Eagles minus 6.5 going back to the summer and even last week. It's now Philly minus 7.5. I think it hit 8, but got bet back down on Sunday night. Total between 48 and 48 and a half. So we saw the line tick above the key number of a touchdown at seven. So looking back at Philly and New England, and I know you have a take on that game considering you won your bet on the Eagles, but by a hair laying it with Philly. The Patriots outgained the Eagles 4.9 to 4.1 yards per play. Patriots, though, failed on their last two possessions to score in general in the red zone, trailing by five at that juncture. So that's why the Eagles covered, and then the Vikings outgained the Bucks by over two yards per play, but lost the turnover battle three zips. So biggest takeaways trending into this matchup in week two. A little bit tempted by the Vikings, even though I think that sort of thing is overstating how well the Vikings played. I don't think they played well at all. I thought Kirk Cousins was pretty bad and deserved those those I, I, I was about to say interceptions, but the fumble was really poor. I mean, he didn't see rushers coming right at his face. Like the throw in the he, red zone, the pick was poor. Yeah, I thought he earned those. Like, I don't think this is a fluke. Um, at the same time, I would have to say the Eagles kind of sucked. I mean, I don't think they were the better team. I'm not certain the better team won that game. Uh, feeling like pretty fortunate to have won that one. Um, 
Yeah, I just thought a Patriots passing offense that I don't think anyone was excited about coming into the season looked pretty good against them for the most part. Um, especially on like pure dropbacks that were in like third down situations, which is kind of when you would expect this Eagles pass rush to get in Mac Jones's face, force some mistakes, overwhelm him. That's not what happened at all. He was just dropping back, cleanest pockets. Uh, they kind of dominated this Eagles pass rush and just finding guys pretty wide open in a lot of spots, to be honest. Like, I don't think he was making any really good throws. I, I just thought people were open and he found them. So, yeah, I thought it was a concerning performance from the Eagles. Uh, also, big-time rule of revenge spot here. I mean, the Eagles absolutely embarrassed the Vikings last year. Uh, I think that was also in prime time. I think that was also in week two, kind of Monday night. Yeah. Funny coincidence that they're uh, doing <laughs> that again. But yeah. yeah, obvious passing downs, like how, how well the the Patriots were able to move the ball. I mean, we know what Kirk Cousins can do if you give him time. At the same time, though, this Eagles wide receiver core against these Vikings DBs, which was a matchup I highlighted basically – and a unit I highlighted in the preseason and then in advance of when we talked about Bucks vikes should be a massive mismatch, man. I mean, the Patriots were able to kind of like, they had the horses. Christian Gonzalez looked good. They were playing well. Um, I don't think the Vikings have anywhere near that sort of talent. And it, it does make me wonder about this over. It's sitting, I think, 48 and a half. Um, yeah, I kind of like the over there. I think both, I know these Thursday games usually get, pretty ugly and slow but man these passing offenses could feast and I think this could honestly be a good live betting game too like whoever is down if they're getting a big number I'm not really certain either one of these teams is going to be able to slow the opposing passing game couple notes that definitely sway towards the Eagles not in terms of me betting it but just that I think it's the correct line and kind of to your point if you're going to bet this I would bet it live if you're looking to take Minnesota. Wait. I don't think this number is getting below seven. Maybe if you want to wrap with your take on that. But a couple things on the Eagles. Fletcher Cox was really good in the fourth quarter in terms of generating pressure on Mac Jones. And so so was Jalen Carter, their first-round pick. Bears definitely missed out on him. We were talking about Chicago a a few minutes ago. But Jalen Carter ranked second in pass rush win rate among players at his position, so defensive tackle, and he only ranked behind Jonathan Allen, the commander's Jonathan Allen. And boy, did Washington need Jonathan Allen to Jonathan win Jonathan Allen against. was doing work. Yeah. Yes, he was. He, I don't want to say won Washington the game, but certainly played a big role. And Carter's— That's the first time I've ever seen a sack via spinning back fist, I think. It was taking me back to my height of my MMA fandom days. It was impressive, but Carter against the Vikings offensive line and just Philly's ability to get after the the passer is going to be vital here in this matchup, especially considering Garrett Bradbury could be out the Vikings center. He got hurt. I want to say in the second quarter against the Bucks and his status is unknown for Thursday night football, but considering it's a short week. I would say probably at this point leaning towards out or at least limited in regards to his health going into this game. So that mismatch at the line of scrimmage definitely leans towards and favors Philadelphia. 
By the way, Nick Sirianni, if the Eagles lost that game, would have been slaughtered to death, not only by Eagles fans, but Eagles betters, and really just betters in general. Rightfully so, I think. Yeah, yeah. He was, I mean, his decision-making on the Eagles' second-to-last possession, because once Philly got the ball back, it was over after the Patriots failed to convert on fourth down. And by the way, that fourth down conversion nearly came through if New England's receiver stayed in bounds and almost got that, what, right foot down, but was pushed out. So back to the line in general, Mo. I know you said this could be a good live betting spot, but where do you expect this spread to close really quick before we get on to your Kansas City Chiefs against Jacksonville? It's hard to imagine it going much higher, to be honest. Uh, I could but see it's this not going to get lower than seven. Uh, yeah, I would very be very surprised. I could see it closing seven for sure, though. Yeah, and the sh- again the sharp betting angle, considering it's above a key number. I- I'm sure if you're looking, if people are like, okay, what do I bet on this game? I want to search it because what are the pros betting? We talked about betting splits and how much they mean little to nothing. It's more just about the entertainment value, but. We got some comments that lean in the other direction, and maybe we'll have a bookmaker on to discuss that later in the week. But I digress. I think this line closes around seven as well. So if you're looking to bet it, wait. But just keep in mind, Vikings regression, just going back to last year, even if you think the Vikings got unlucky against the Bucks, the regression could just be coming considering their turnover luck last year was above average among all NFL teams. Just something to take note of with Minnesota long-term, not just in this individual matchup and on a one-week sample size, to most point, that yards per play doesn't necessarily dictate the entire body of work. It's a great point. So Chiefs-Jags, look-ahead line for this game was Chiefs minus three, minus three and a half. It's down to Kansas City under the key number of a field goal. And going back to Thursday Night Football, you haven't had a chance to vent Yet, as a Chiefs fan, Mo. So, Detroit marginally outgained Kansas City in yards per play. Kadarius Tony, I want to say the numbers and then the floor is all yours. One receiving yard. Minus one rushing yard. Four drops. One of those drops. Clear-cut drop leading to a pick six. And Kansas City loses by a point after closing minus four with Kelsey out against Detroit. Like I said, the floor is yours. Yeah, that was that was a painful watch, man. Um, first of all, I want to say I saw some stats after the game that said the Chiefs had four drops. Okay, there's no way there was four. There was like 12. I don't know yeah. what they do. This is like baseball official scorers <laughs> saying what's an error, okay? I, I think if a defender just like touches you, they don't call it a drop is what I'm getting out of this. It's still right. a drop. If a football hits you in two hands and you don't catch it, unless the defender hit the ball, you dropped it, okay? So, I mean, there's some drops you can give a pass for. Most of these were not that. Um, They just completely, one unit just completely let the team down, basically. Um, Now, going forward into this week, my inclination it would be to give the Casey offense a pass, obviously for a few reasons. Number one, they have Patrick Mahomes. Number two, they have Andy Reid. Number three, while this is not a collection of guys with good hands, that was completely outrageous. And in particular, Kadarius Tony, I've never 
thought his hands to be a problem. In fact, he made some pretty good contested catches last year. Yeah. I looked into the numbers. Uh, once again, this is with the caveat that I don't think people actually know what a drop is, but Kadarius Tony had a 3.5% drop rate in his only like medium volume season of his career with the Giants. For context, that would usually rank among the league leaders. So even if you look at his numbers since then, which have been poor and average them out, it's still probably looking at a average to better than average drop rate. So I, that, that, that performance basically came out of nowhere, I think. Um, and now facing a Jags secondary that I didn't like coming into the season and I thought was pretty unimpressive against the Colts. They allowed 215 passing yards or something like that to Anthony Richardson. They did not make him look like a rookie quarterback. He was not making a lot of egregious errors or anything like that. Um, so I'm a little surprised. I, do you think this number is really going to hang below three? I, I feel like it should be three. Um, now it's going to close another, three or three and a half. This is another revenge spot. The, the Chiefs kicked the Jags' asses twice last year. So this is double revenge. It's a good point, especially considering the second of those two meetings came in the playoffs and the divisional round of that game was fairly close. Of course, the, the line movement, potential line movement, comes with the caveat that we don't know the status of Travis Kelsey, although the reports seemingly are that he's going to play considering Chiefs had a week and a half going into this game. And we also don't know about Chris Jones, but can the Jags rush in attack take advantage? And this go, going back to that Jacksonville Indianapolis game really quickly. Um, Jacksonville barely outgained the Colts in yards per play. Granted, Jags got some breaks with Indy's fumbles, two fumbles in plus territory, but the Colts also got a fluke touchdown. Defensive <laughs> that touchdown. was the all-timer. A right. guy just standing there. Bigsby, yeah. Yeah, that was that's the perfect example of don't give up on the play. And it, he had the ball in his yeah, hands. It just he had the Colts, ball. Right. It's not like he necessarily gave up. He just was holding it. It's not like the ball was just sitting there on the turf. But regardless, considering the amount of time that Mahomes will have to prepare for this Jacksonville secondary and outside of Trey Campbell, there's no one that you could really trust. By the way, we have to note for Jacksonville, Calvin Ridley looked like a true number one. And there were concerns about Indianapolis' secondary, especially after losing to Devon Gilmore, and we touched on the Cowboys at the top. I mean, their defense looks legit, especially, I mean, and then some, especially with the addition of Gilmore across from Diggs. But this Jacksonville secondary against Mahomes, and then you factor in how Detroit won the game and iced the game against the Chiefs on the ground. Can Jacksonville do that? at the efficiency that Detroit did it, especially if Chris Jones holds out for another game. So in terms of where the line closes, that's where I was kind of going with it from this mini rant, I guess, if you want to call it that. If Kelsey and Jones are out, I think this line could close below a field goal. It will close below a field goal probably. But if they play, it's probably closes three and a half, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. So are you going to be looking to bet and should our viewers and listeners try to head over to the Lions Discord channel to get a, or at least check out if you're going to have a bet on this game 
in regards to the Chiefs. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in the Chiefs. Um, I think it's probably worth uh, taking a shot, honestly, right now, like you said, because what's the worst that can happen? Kelsey's announced out and and it closes at one. Yeah. Yeah, but then it's just like you're kind of giving up minimal value anyway at that point. True, it's a dead number. It's a good point. Okay, on to our third game, Ravens at Bengals. Very interesting game, another AFC clash here. The look-ahead line was Cincy minus three and a half. It's back to Bengals laying three and a half at home after briefly touching three on Sunday night. Actually, some juiced two and a half. So the Bengals have gotten some action into Monday afternoon. And Cincy had just 2.6 yards per play. This is one of the more incredible box scores. It really is. To watch, to break down, man. So if Deshaun Watson was any more accurate, Because that was something we were harping on going into this game. What kind of Deshaun Watson shows up? And he looked better in the second half, mind you. But if he was any more accurate and if Jerome Ford doesn't fumble, I want to say in the second quarter, I think it may have been the first quarter even, Browns probably win that game by 30-plus. Because the Bengals had one sustainable drive, and that was it. So combination of the Burrow calf injury coupled with the way Zach Taylor handles preseason – And the Bengals have seemingly always gotten off to slow starts. And this was probably their worst opening game performance in Taylor's tenure, you could argue. And one other stat that stood out, because this was something that we talked about going into the game and a reason why I really like Cleveland. Browns blitzed uh, on 38% of Burrow's dropbacks yesterday. And Burrow was just 2 for 11 for 16 passing yards against blitzes and looking at Baltimore here. I know we'll touch on the Ravens injuries and my God, man, but Baltimore, well, Marcus Williams doesn't get hurt all the time. J.K. Dobbins, maybe you could say, is it a shock, but going back to the Ravens Texans game. And yes, you could say Houston's offensive line with three guys out certainly played a role into Baltimore's ability to get pressure on Stroud rookie quarterback. Also keep that in mind, but Ravens had the fifth highest pressure rate in week one when they weren't blitzing. And Ojabo and away got home and then some, which was a really good sign for this Ravens pass rush considering those two guys are going to play a big role if Baltimore is going to be able to get after the quarterback this year at a above average rate. So I'll touch on the injuries on the back half of this, but why don't you go ahead and give your early handicap for Bengals-Ravens? My initial feeling is that this is probably the right number at three and a half. Uh, I'm a bit tempted to buy low on the Bengals. Yeah. Even at they, three and a half? Yeah. They, I think they should probably be bigger favorites than three and a half if all these guys are out. But you said you want to get to that in a minute. So I'll just touch on what I thought the Ravens did, which was honestly, I thought they had a poor game versus uh, their offense for sure versus the Texans. I know that they have a really sharp mind defensive head coach now in Houston. So, you know, maybe we can give their defense some credit that they're probably better, but they allowed four sacks to, I think a mediocre at best pass rush. Lamar Jackson had a 13.6 QBR, which is really gross. Uh, And yeah, (laughs) that, like you said, the I don't know how much credit to give this Ravens defense because I went into that game 
really worried about the Texans offense. Once I saw three starters that were projected for in the preseason were out, which is pretty sick, honestly, <laughs> considering they hadn't played a game yet. Um, so pretty much a layup assignment for the Ravens defense between that and facing a rookie quarterback, rookie head coach. Uh, if they didn't lock up Houston, it would be really concerning, but yeah, their offense played really, really poorly. And then a lot of injuries, man. I, I don't know the the Bengals, they, they should honestly roll. If a lot of these guys are out, I, I feel like it, but at the same time, it's like, what do we make of Burrow? I mean, maybe he came back too soon. Maybe he's not 100%. So if he keeps playing like he played against the Browns, which was absolutely crazy, like you would – I, they could play that game 100 times and they might not ever have 82 yards passing again. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what to think, honestly, but my feeling is Bengals might be the side. Well – couple counterpoints, and I'll touch on the injuries first. So, a lot of them. We mentioned Dobbins. Marcus Williams, who's one of the better safeties in the league and a leader on that Ravens defense, has a pec injury. We don't know the extent of that just yet. Ronnie Stanley and Linderbaum are also potentially out for this game, which would be disastrous for that Ravens offensive line, especially with the way, like you mentioned, Jackson looked in his first start in the Munkin scheme, which you would expect to take time. But if Stanley and Linderbaum are out, that's pretty, that is a tall task. The The one area that if Lamar is a little more comfortable in Munkin's scheme, and if the Ravens can go a little more up-tempo, because that was something that I expected with Baltimore, and that kind of played at a neutral, slower, about average pace, which didn't surprise me considering the score and kind of yeah, like you mentioned. I think when you're up big, that honestly, yeah. if you're neutral when you're spending that much of the game as up multiple scores, maybe they do want to play a little faster generally. Right. Zay Flowers looked unbelievable. And I know it's against Houston and that secondary, which has its concerns in its own right, but I think he had the second highest target rate among rookie receivers in week one since Eddie Royal. Going back to, these are all Eddie rookie receivers. Royal. Yeah. You're going back to Jay Cutler and that Broncos team, I believe. So, Zay Flowers looks like the real deal. And kind of like what I mentioned with Deshaun Watson, if Watson was any more accurate, that Bengals secondary, and this was something I touched on going into that game and going back to my futures bat or, or win total bat with the Bengals under 11 and a half, those safeties do not look competent. When I talk about Nick Scott and Daxton Hill and after losing Von Bell and Jesse Bates. So if Lamar and the Ravens are able to play a little more up-tempo and he looks more competent in Munkin's scheme in his second game, then, and I don't think, we when we speak to the running back position and maybe you will have a different take on this, but with Dobbins out, if you're going to Gus Edwards and, Hill, Justice Hill, I don't think it's a massive drop-off, even though Dobbins is certainly a more explosive back. Yeah, it depends on if you want to get five yards or if you're hoping for any 50-yard runs. You ain't going to get any of those from the other guys. Dobbins right. can make, make a big play, but, but they're fine the for moving the sticks, though. Right, exactly. But that also, the Ravens are, aren't going to be able to run the ball as efficiently you would expect if Stanley and Linderbaum are out. The other point that I want to make, too, is 
Marlon Humphrey, if he's out for this game, there's no status update yet for him. If you're going up against Burrow and a pissed-off Bengals offense and Humphrey and Williams are out, that is tough. But the you, when we mentioned situational spots, which you brought up especially with the Jags Chiefs, Ravens lost the last two games to the Bengals last year. And that second loss, playoff game, no Lamar, and Baltimore arguably should have won that game if Sam Hubbard doesn't get lucky and scoop up a fumble and take it back 98 yards for a score when the Ravens were looking to go up. All that said, line closes probably three and a half or four even. Depending on the injury front, I don't think it's going to move a ton. Maybe three if Baltimore is a little healthier than the early outlook seems to be. If Baltimore does get positive news on the injury front, I'll probably end up on the Ravens. Considering I do expect the Ravens passing attack to look a little more competent and then be able to move the ball against a weaker Bengal secondary, like I mentioned. So any thought on where the line closes, Mel? I feel like it's just going to be so injury-driven, like like we've been touching on. I will say another one that we haven't named yet, and maybe the biggest of all, to be honest, could be Mark Andrews. Um, what a... I think he plays. What a guy that guy is. Just absolute... He fits the Ravens. Let's just let's put it that way. He fits right in with the rest <laughs> of that offense. But yeah, if he goes, I think it would be pretty big. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling, I have a hunch that the Ravens, he could have played yesterday. If it was ravens Bengals in the opener, I think he's out there. So, But that's a good point. Definitely something to monitor throughout the week. All right, last game we're going to hit on here. Another AFC matchup and a big one. We touched on New England when we were breaking down the Eagles and how they performed in their week one opener at the Patriots. So Miami at New England. Line was originally Dolphins minus one. No surprise. It's out to Miami minus two and a half. I think this may touch three by the end of the week. Tua with 10.4 yards per attempt. Decimating that Charger secondary. And that said, Miami certainly benefited from the J.C. Jackson tackle, which turned into a P.I. at the end of the half. And especially considering the final score, Miami wittied by two. And Tyree Kill putting up 200-plus receiving yards. But outside of that Mac Jones pick six to slay, like you mentioned, New England outperformed Philly to an extent. And especially when you look at yards per play, Mac Jones looked really comfortable in Bill O'Brien's offense, 5.5 yards per attempt. And especially, you have to take into account this Miami secondary. I mean, Justin Herbert's depth, average depth of target was not super high, which was surprising especially with Kellen Moore in the fold now as the Chargers offensive coordinator. So maybe that's an indictment on Herbert. Not that we're breaking down Chargers Titans. Elijah Campbell status in that Dolphins secondary is unknown. So your mini analysis here of what to expect with New England and Miami and any bets for you potentially. I thought both teams played very well in week one, and I definitely upgraded my opinion of, of both of them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I do feel like maybe the Dolphins should be pushing minus three here, to be honest. Um, but at the same time, the Patriots, they did stick with these Eagles wide receivers, which I honestly would not have expected. Um, and they did put a decent amount of pressure on Hurts, who honestly never looked comfortable in that game. And 
he's going to handle that sort of thing. You know, he did scramble for some yards here and there. I mean, he didn't have a good game on the ground, but Tua's not going to be doing anything like that. And Miami did get trucked on the ground real, real bad by what you wouldn't really think of as a great Chargers offensive line, especially in the run blocking sense. Um, Tua did, I, I checked back last year's box scores. He had a good game week one against the Pats. That was kind of like before anyone knew what this Dolphins offense was going to be like, though. So it's kind of like one that I don't really know how much stock we can put in. And then he didn't even play the second time. Uh, I think it was the week after he was done for the season. So this is a tough one. I I kind of feel like the Dolphins should be minus three, but I don't know, man. I, the Patriots played well. They played legitimately well, and and... I kind of, I'm, I can tell you one thing. I'm feeling great about my Mac Jones over 3,200 yards or whatever that was. Yeah. That should fly that over. Bet. I had him. I did not expect it to go that well. I had not that people care about my fantasy team or anybody's fantasy team for that matter, but I had him in my super flex two quarterback league and I did not expect that performance, but unfortunately none of my skill position players scored a touchdown. So that was kind of unfortunate. Lamar Jackson looking at you. So, I think this line closes three, and if it does, I kind of get the hunch that you're thinking about New England, and so am I. And to your point about the Patriots' defensive line, if Armstead is out again, the way Matthew Judon and New England's defensive front was able to get pressure on Hurts, and by the way, that's also a credit to Belichick, because Patriots typically don't perform well against rushing quarterbacks. And like you said, two is not going to be scrambling around considering the concussion history like Hurts seemingly would have. And besides that first drive, which was probably scripted when that, I mean, that was the Eagles most successful drive in regards to efficiency. So I think New England matches up pretty well in this game. And I'm sure we're going to be handicapping this one on Thursday, but if it touches three strong lean to the Patriots for me. Yeah, I think that's fair enough, man. I mean, I thought they played really well against the Eagles. I was uh, really impressed. And yeah, maybe Belichick still got it. Bill O'Brien, too. This was something that we harped on. Oh, yeah. Going back to... Turns uh, out having an offensive coordinator (laughs) instead of a defensive coordinator running your offense can be a good thing. (laughs) Mo's disclaimer. How about that? Mo's disclaimer before I even give one. And by the way, I do have one. Is It is good to have a true, clear-cut offensive coordinator, not a defensive coordinator, running your offense. We're looking at you, Matt Patricia. So that's our take. Gave you four games, four good ones, ahead of week two. And my quick disclaimer, (laughs) disclaimer number one, and my only one for this podcast. Something we touched on, I think, on the first episode. Probably should have hit on it a little bit more on Thursday. Not that it's anything game-related or game-state anything in regards to the betting market, although it kind of is, and I'll stop prefacing. Please don't chase. If you're betting anything on Jets bills or any early looks for yourself on the week two card, if these bets don't go your way, we went three and two for our podcast plays. I think you could throw, speaking of results, you could throw out the door, probably the Seahawks result, one first down or one. Yeah, I think they didn't, they only converted one first down or one third down in the second half, which is wild. Both tackles, though, banged up. So we'll see how the injury front goes for the Seahawks. But that bet didn't fare well. I don't know how much you could take away from Rams-Seahawks, though. At least that's just my take. But going back to the original point, please, please, please don't chase if you have a losing day 
I know the Sunday night game is typically the chase game. That's what it's called stamped. If you want to even call it that the way gambling Twitter and X, whatever you want to call gambling X these days. Now that Elon Musk has changed the landscape of, of Twitter. Just if you have a bad day, shake it off. Just like any team would going in from a poor performance in week one, especially the Bengals week one to week two, and hopefully you have a better week two, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think I was stuck in NFL this week, but whatever. It's on to the next. Right. It's a long season. And even though it's different than betting baseball every day, which Mo, you're doing, I know you have a bet for tonight. If our listeners and viewers Monday night want to check that out in our free discord channel, link is over at the top right-hand corner over at the lines.com. Any closing thoughts from you, Mo, on this podcast? I got nothing other than I wish somebody would have told me Kenny Gainwell was going to be RB1 in Philadelphia. That could have affected a lot of things I did in the fantasy season. Yeah, Rashad Penny and my, wasn't. And my prop bet on DeAndre Swift. Okay, I'm sorry. How much? How many? What was his snap rate? Dude, I think he had like two touches from what I oh, remember. Wow. Yeah, Penny, it, Penny being an active surprised me a bit too. So... Yeah, I apologize to you and any Swift prop better. What backers. was the point of bringing those guys in if you were just going to put Kenny Gainwell RB1? I'm not saying that's bad. Kenny Gainwell is pretty good. I like him. I have him on a dynasty team. This is a great development for that team. But from a franchise that we always think of as like pretty forward-thinking and smart, they spent actual resources to bring these guys in, and then they just leave them on ice. What is going on? Moe's upset. Moe's pissed off. Maybe DeAndre Swift has a big Thursday night game in store against the Vikings. And that poor defense, like we hammered home on the Thursday podcast last week. Or maybe it's just going to be another Kenny Gainwell game. Who knows? But for Mo Wire, for myself, Eli Herskovich, thanks for watching and listening to another esteemed edition of the Beat the Closing Number podcast presented by thelines.com. Remember to check out thelines.com for the best sports betting promo offers, especially if you're in Kentucky, some pre-launch offers on the site. And you could also find all of our bets. They'll be placed before Thursday in the Lines Discord channel. Link is in the top right-hand corner over at thelines.com. Thanks for watching and listening. So long, everybody.